I always tell people start off doing some service, get good at something and turn what you can do into a course. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, that's when you're making money when you sleep, right? Welcome back to the Traffic Sales and Profit Show. My name is Lamar Tyler. I'm your host. So if you're looking for ways to grow your business or to generate wealth, you're in the right spot. And we have been celebrating the first 40 plus episodes of the Traffic Sales and Profit Show by taking a look back at some of our favorite moments. Now, if you missed part one, make sure you go back and watch that. Because in part one, we pulled out four, right? Can't miss episodes of the TSP Show. Now I'm bringing you four more that I want to make sure I bring to your attention. And I'm starting with episode seven. We sat down with my personal head of my money team. Now, I don't, I don't just have these conversations out in public often, so I want to make sure you grab it. Head of my money team, Miss Amelia Thomas from Empire Capital Ventures. And she talked about the secrets of the 1%, that 1% of the wealthy, the 1% of the people that have you know, the same amount of money as, as the majority of the percentage beneath them. We talked about the things that they know that we don't. We talked about how they play chess and how we play checkers. And we talked about what you need to know, what you need to do to get started in your wealth journey. Check this out. Let's go back to episode seven with Amelia Thomas beginning now. A lot of times, you know, we were doing things that are not the things that they tell regular people to do. Mm -hmm. is, is there like two different forms of education, like education or, or strategies or tactics, whatever it may be, that the wealthier told to do this and then, you know, middle-class Americans told to do something else mm -hmm. is the same things, different, different levels of understanding. Like, like what, what's your thoughts around that? Absolutely. Um, you know, the reality is, again, going back to that 97% conversation, right? 97% of the advisors in the marketplace, um, you know, they're servicing individuals who are middle-class Americans. Um, they're from a middle-class American background. You know, they did not come from wealth either and therefore they don't know. Um, it's not the client that they serve. It's not the people that they hang around with the most. Um, and that's not their background. And so they, they genuinely don't know. They genuinely believe that the information that they have, um, is, is what's available out there. Mm. Um, but unfortunately that's not the case. And therefore, if you are looking to really create wealth and build wealth and, you know, have, you know, a hundred million dollars in assets that you're looking to pass down, um, you have to get around people who have access to that level of information and sure. who can partner you with other individuals uh, to help you create that. Um, that's not going to happen by uh, happenstance. Um, and so I think we need to do a better job in our community at evaluating and um, evaluating our advisors and who we're taking information from. Because, you know, for someone who is just, you know, has $100,000 available each year to invest, you know, Investing that in the stock market is not going to get you to $100 million. It's just not. Um, not unless you are, you know, on the other side of that accredited investor sure. equation and you're doing something different. But in the general stock market, it's not likely to, you know, it's not likely to happen. Now, what are some of the biggest mistakes that individuals are making that are keeping them from wealth? And, and I say that because, you know, you've heard me say it, and I say it here on the podcast all the time. For a long time, I think I was under the impression that if I made money, I would build wealth, but then I realized it's literally two different educations, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I think is why a lot, a lot of people 
can generate a lot of money through job or through mm-hmm. uh, entrepreneurship, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. but still may not end up with a lot of money, right? Because they don't know how to build, grow, protect, and then transfer wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of some things that are like keeping people from really building, you know, lasting generational wealth? Well, the first thing is you have to control um, your first or second largest expense, and that is taxes. <laughs> you know, a lot mm-hmm. of people don't think about that, but you know. Particularly when you are, you know, higher net worth, you know, you have a few million dollars in taxable income per year. You're probably paying a million dollars in taxes or, you know, half a million, six hundred thousand dollars. So the first thing you have to do is figure out how to control your taxes. Um, And that actually requires a different set of education. Right. Um, Because there's only so much of a home office deduction you can write off. There's only so so many cars you can buy in the business and you know, taking advantage of Augusta, all these things they tell you to do, right? There's only so many deductions you could take. At a certain point, you actually have to work to actively build your wealth and investments that the government wants you to invest in in order for you to take advantage of reducing your your taxable liability. Um, And so if you focus on gaining that level of education, like what are the things that I can invest in that create really nice tax benefits so I have even more money to invest because I'm reducing my tax bill, you know, two, three hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, that is how you start to build your wealth. That's, you know, number one. And then number two, um, when you're talking about, you know, going to school, education, you know, time and effort, um, time and effort plays a really large factor in your tax bill. Okay. You know, you hear the term passive income thrown around quite a bit, but people really do not understand what that means in terms of saving money and taxes. Everyone is all like, oh, I want all these passive income streams, you know, Um, but the IRS has a very, very particular definition of what they consider passive. And individuals who can truly meet that definition of a passive investor has the keys to wealth building in their hand. Like they can literally have tax-free wealth if they can truly meet that definition of a passive investor. Okay. All right. So that was good. I want to make sure all of y'all have caught that, right? Got that last piece. One of the biggest things holding you back from building wealth is the fact that you are overpaying, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to taxes, when it comes to the money you're giving back to the government. Mm-hmm. Um, telling y'all, right? Them tax returns. Y'all, you're getting excited. That is your money that the government is giving you back because you overpaid. And something else I always say too, you heard me say, business owners should not be doing their own taxes. Absolutely not. Even when I want a business owner to do my own taxes, but like, like no matter how much you think you know, you don't know everything, right? Like you don't know the tax code and the opportunities and you are paying more than you should be paying in taxes if you don't have a qualified professional doing it. 94% of Americans overpay in taxes. Wow. 94. Now, I want to go back to something you said a second ago because you talked about the fact that, hey, there are things that the government wants you to invest in. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Uh, excellent question. So if you really think about it, uh, when you see various tax credits, you hear like, oh, there's a tax credit for buying this solar vehicle. There's a tax credit for rehabbing historical houses. You know, there's a tax credit for um, uh, investing in certain depressed and economically disadvantaged communities. That is the government saying, hey, we realize that there's an opportunity here. We have no interest in doing the investing ourselves. And therefore, we're going to create a tax benefit 
for private investors to come in and place their money in these investments to create economic um, engines and to bring these areas out of poverty or to put more research and development into solar and renewable energy and oil and gas and all these things. And if you do that and help us out, we're going to reward you. We're going to reward you by giving you this tax credit, uh, which is a dollar for dollar return on your money. It's not a deduction, it's a credit. Uh, and it's something that can still help you build wealth. And so there are a number of those vehicles that exist. You know, real estate is one of those things um, where you can actually partner with the government, do exactly, invest exactly how they want you to invest and not pay taxes along the way. I love it. So you also mentioned another word, and I want to make sure uh, we're clear for the people listening. Mm -hmm. You talked about an accredited investor. Mm -hmm. Like what exactly is a credit investor? Mm -hmm. um, so the, the easiest way to remember it is one, two, three. Okay. This is a person that has um, either $1 million in net worth. So after you take your assets minus your liabilities, you still have $1 million remaining. Or you have an income of two, $200,000 a year. And if you're married filing jointly, an income of three, $300,000 a year. One, two, three. $1 million, $200,000, $300,000. All right. If you can meet that definition and you've had that income for two of the past three years, you could be considered an accredited investor, which is um, which is an opportunity for you to invest in um, different investments and different deals that are not available to regular everyday Americans. Okay. In fact, they probably have never heard of that term. Their advisors have probably never heard of that term um, because it is not something that legally can be really be spoken about in the masses. So, all right. So I love it. Cause I know some people saying, all right, hold on a second, Ms. Thomas. What are you telling me? There are things that I can't invest in. That's correct. And you'll never know about them. All right. So that's a lot for people to <laughs> swallow. Right. So, so, um, what type of things would they be? I mean, you can't give them a specific investment. Mm -hmm. Like what type of things, uh, are credit investors have access to a privy to that mm -hmm. a, a regular person would? Um, so various private equity deals, you know, so, you know, for example, um, um, Pinky Coles, right? She just slutty, the owner of Slutty Vegan. She just did a Series A raise, uh, $25 million. Those are accredited investors at that table, you know, on that deal. N not anyone else, right? Um, other small startups that are issuing equity in their companies, you know, they're raising money. They're getting ready to um, go public on the stock exchange. Those are typically accredited investors. Now, I told you that Amelia was going to have a ton of nuggets. And the way she makes you realize that it's two different games being played as it relates to wealth is just fantastic. But even more fantastic is the way she can break it down so that we all can understand. So I want to make sure you dive into the full episode because if you don't get a hold of what she's talking about and what she's training in that episode, you can miss out on a lot of money over not just the next year or the next decade. I'm talking about the next generation. Now, let's go to episode 37. I want you to meet Alicia Little, a very good friend of mine, a TSP Mastermind member. And we're gonna talk about how to start making money online. Because in order to generate wealth, you need to have money coming in that you can then deploy, right, into your wealth generating principles, your wealth generating vehicles. And this is the episode that's gonna show you how to make more money by using these online principles that Alicia is gonna break down. And the thing I loved about this episode is that when she broke it down, she made it so plain, so simple, and so attainable to let you realize that no matter who you are, no matter what you do, 
There's an expertise and a knowledge that you have that you can just tap into the internet to begin making more money today. Check this out. You're going to love it. It's just so interesting that people sometimes can't even assess their current skills and translate that into the online environment. But whatever skills you have, they translate into the online environment. And these can be skills like, um, you know, accounting, right. bookkeeping, so your career skills, but they can also just be skills that you're passionate about. So I have people who are passionate about fitness who are doing fitness online with people. Mm -hmm. They're doing um, Zoom sessions online on Fiverr, on Upwork, or just you know doing their Zoom sessions with people. We have one personal trainer who she's being hired to do videos that um, people who have apps that have you know, those apps where you can go on the app and get mm -hmm. your exercise sessions on, she sells those videos to, she sells her exercise videos to those apps and makes residual income from that. So she wow. packages them up and says, here, I have these videos. This is how much you're going to pay me if you want them. And she's just getting business over and over from all these apps buying her videos. Like there's space for everyone. I have people that are, that have, you know, put together videos of them cooking and they're selling those and they're they're teaching people on Zoom how to cook. Whatever you're passionate about or those skills that you have, that's step number one is to assess that. And if you don't know what it is, like call five friends and ask mm. them, hey, what am I good at? Because sometimes we can't see, you know, like we can't see the picture when we're in the frame. Right. So Let's call people and ask them, hey, what am I good at? And you'll be surprised what people say. But don't just call one or two, call five. I found that five gives you a big enough picture to understand what you're good at. I'm sorry, yeah. in, in your um, uh, view of it, should it be something you're passionate about? It should be, because when you're passionate about it, or at least like it <laughs> enough, <laughs> then you'll love to do the business. Because this is something that you're going to do a complete business around. So I've had people that are in a career and they say, you know what, I want to do something completely different. So they've been doing, uh, let's say, administrative work. Mm -hmm. And they are like, I never want to be <laughs> in the administrative industry again. So they find something new that they want to do, which is which is number two. Okay. So it's the second thing you need to do is to say, OK, maybe there's something new that I want to do mm -hmm. and that I will always wanted to explore. So that is learn a new skill. So number one is to assess your current skills. And number two is see if there's a new skill that you've always wanted to learn. Seems like everybody these days wants to learn graphic design because <laughs> it's yeah. so trending with uh, social media the way that it is. Yep, and true. with Canva being so awesome, like so many people build businesses just around this one tool, Canva.com. So learn a new skill and then, then you can turn that new skill into a business. And then number three is to market yourself. So take these skills that you have and turn them into a service online and put them on places like fiverr.com and upwork.com and then promote them on social media. So, so many of my students don't even get a chance to put their services on Fiverr or Upwork because they just make a flyer and put it on social media mm. and you never know Good who points. needs that or who shares it with someone else. Um, so you put a flyer up and you say, hey, I do transcription for podcasters. Now it's getting shared. Oh, I know a podcaster who needs that. Or, hey, I do book covers for authors. You know, whatever it is that you do, talk about it and put it out there and put your skills out there and you'll see that people will pick up on it. Everybody knows somebody who needs something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Th this is an interesting conversation because as you're talking, I'm thinking about the fact that so many of the things you've said, 
have strong core technology pieces mm -hmm. that aren't really complicated. No. But really, like you said, uh, you know, you mentioned Canva and somebody really been, built a business around Canva. Yeah. Where Canva allows what, you know, maybe even just five, 10 years ago, right? Like you would have to have somebody very skilled in something like Photoshop, which is expensive, um, doing, you know, which is, I still can't navigate Photoshop, <laughs> right? Like, like, <laughs> like, but like somebody that's a deep dive expert and navigate through now can in a couple clicks of knowing what they're doing on Canva, create something that looks professional, that looks so amazing, yep. but still the average person, probably majority of America doesn't even know Canva exists. That's so true. Right, which is like, uh, I'm sure somebody's watching this saying, what is Canva? <laughs> which is uh, like a graphic design um, software online, just very simple and templatized, I guess right. is a, a kind of way to explain it. But like majority of America probably doesn't know Canva exists. Um, people that know it exists, probably still don't use it. There's another section people probably do use it, still don't know how to use it properly or That's may right. not just have an eye for it. So somebody just dedicating their time to say, hey, I'm gonna learn everything I can about Canva can then create a business around it. That's right. You know, it, it reminds me of a conversation I had with um, uh, Ronnie, uh, who's my wife for, for new viewers, uh, early this week. And we were talking about Peloton. And Ronnie said, Lamar, like somebody could totally just create a business around Peloton because they got all these courses and stuff and just create like, a uh, program for somebody of what they should actually do inside of it. Because right. it's a whole lot of courses and stuff, but still when you go inside, it's like, what course what should I, I take, right. right? Exactly, so she was like, somebody like literally a fitness person could just say, hey, these are all the things. And I was, adding, I was saying, yeah, just adding accountability. And that's like a whole thing. Again, like not even built on, hey, I gotta go out and build a bike in the treadmill and all the infrastructure to stream classes, but just helping people use the classes that are already there better. Yeah, I've made over $100,000 on a course that I have just showing people how to use Canva. It's called the Design Masterclass. Wow. People just take a course to learn how to use Canva. <laughs> and so Canva is not my software, but I'm selling a course to teach people how to use it better. I love so, it. Yeah. I love it. Um, you mentioned a course. What yeah. about um, uh, creating digital assets? Yeah, Like sure. courses, ebooks, things like that. Yeah, like, sure. Like nowadays, um, uh, is that still like the thing to do, a Absolutely. great thing to do, or is it like... Too late for people to get in that game. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, I'm in that game. I love that game. <laughs> you know, that's my million dollar game right there. So, you know, I always tell people start off doing some service, get good mm. at something and turn what you can do into a course. Mm. And when you do that, that's when you're making money when you sleep. Right. So mm. there's two ways that I really like to make money when I sleep. So I'm going to come back to the course in a minute. Mm -hmm. The first way is to have an agency. So we talked about Canva as an example. So my sister Lorette does this. She has a business all built around doing graphic design for businesses, but she doesn't do any of the work. So somebody buys her service for her five images for $50 and she has someone else who does all the five images, delivers it to the client and Lorette pays this lady $5 and she keeps $45. So that's the agency model. We both have social media agencies where we do social media design, all that for clients. And we've got that all outsourced. And then the next one is the course model, which I absolutely love. So we create courses around all the different things that we know how to do. Mm -hmm. And so we have micro courses. So that is if we just learn how to do one thing. So a great example is we know how to help local businesses to bring in more customers using a Facebook check-in strategy. So we developed a course around this and it's just one strategy. It's not Facebook marketing for local business. It's That's just good. one little strategy. And we sell that course and we made six figures on this one 
little course. And most of the sales, well, most if not all of the sales have come in from affiliates getting paid 50% of the sale to market and sell this course. Affiliates are our main source of generating traffic. And so we build courses around these little things that we know how to do that we're successful at. And so everything that I've been able to do and accomplish, a course is built around. I have an Airbnb. So do I have an Airbnb course? Of course I do. (laughs) (laughs) I've done it last year. I've learned how to fix and flip homes. I fixed and flipped four. I'm really excited about that. So is there a course coming out about that? Of course. And I did that. All the fix and flipping I did, I did it with the knowledge of saying, okay, I'm going to do this knowing that I'm going to create a course. So I have to think about my students first. Like, what are they going to want to know in real estate investing, fixing and flipping? They're going to want to know how to do it with you know, little money down without using their personal credit. So I'm going into it saying, okay, how can I do it knowing what they are going to want to know? And so everything that you're able to do successfully that solves a problem for someone else, just put it into a course format and keep it as simple as possible, right? Turn on your camera, (laughs) turn on, you know, Zoom or Loom. I like using both of those tools, record what you can do, And then package it up into a course format. So many course platforms out there. And I mean, you're the king of courses. Mm. I've watched a million of yours. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, there's, there's so much to be said about what you can do. A lot of my students that do, you know, they do, okay, they get really good at doing transcription for podcasters. So then they Mm. create a course around that. And then they're selling, you know, um, how to do transcription for podcasters, or they're selling a course for podcasters saying, here's the 10 ways you can repurpose your content. Mm. So, you know, taking what you know, as a service, or what you know, that is something that works for someone, and packaging up, packaging it up into your knowledge is, is such an amazing thing to do. All right, now we're going to continue this money theme. Alicia just broke down how you can make more money. Now we're going to go to episode 18 where my brother Ash Cash talked about having a money mindset, a wealthy mindset. My man Ash on this episode talked about the fact that abundance is your birthright. And he did it. I want to say he yelled from the mountaintops, but he literally was sitting right in the chair beside me. But I felt like he was yelling from the mountaintops. This, is, this, is a, this Ash is a big, loud dude, and he's going to push on you. The fact that you need to know that that abundance is a birthright piece. The fact that you need to know that you can have more than you've ever dreamed about. And if you didn't know that, if you didn't know his story, check out this episode. It's going to blow you away. Uh, I was working at Blockbuster Videos. I was like, I was, I was, I started at 17. um, And then by 19, I I had already become an assistant manager. Mm. The next step at Blockbuster was store manager. I was like, I don't want to really be a store manager. Uh, and fate would have it. In retrospect, that probably was a good move. Exactly. That was one of the best (laughs) moves, right? Um, But, you know, one of the assistant managers, she was working two jobs. She was working at Blockbuster and and at Chase Bank. Okay. And one day she just came in and was like, yo, Chase is hiring. Like, do you want to, you know, you know, do, you know, be a banker? And I was like, man, I got the experience already. And being a teller paid more than being assistant manager. And I already knew that I didn't want to be a store manager. And right. I and I and I, and I looked at, at bank and I was like, if I'm if I'm a teller making more money, at least, you know, there's so many different things Where I could do. Go. So I said, right. let me just try it. I didn't even know I would like it as much. Uh, but I think that the moment that I walked in there, I think the moment that changed my life, right? That's why representation is important. Um, I walked in there 
and there was a black guy, fast shout out to Michael Black, um, you know, Jamaican, who was the branch manager in Madison Square Garden. I said, wow, like this black dude like runs this whole thing. Like yeah. he's the boss. Like he, all of these white people, like he, he's the boss of everybody. I said, oh, and so it, it just made me realize um, that the opportunity was so much greater. Um, and so as I, you know, jumped in um, and just realized how, uh, how good, it was to help people manage money like this. It wasn't only about the money that I was making. Yeah. There was like this feeling where uh, people would come in and you would give them solutions. And, you know, you know, you know, banking in, in the past was like a service. It wasn't sales. You go into a bank now, they try to sell you something. Right. But before it was like a service. So they would like really sit down with you and ask you for solutions. And, you know, and, and that and that was the the most the most gratifying part of being a banker for me. Um, and so I just, you know, I just wanted to keep saying, like, you, you're like how how far can I take it? Um, and the farthest I got was the CEO. I was a, I was a CEO of a credit union, um, and I was, you know, I did that for about a year. But but I was like, all right, now it's time, you know, to take my talents, you know, to South Beach. You no, know, take my talents, <laughs> you know, take my talent, you know, worldwide. Yeah. And then I, you know, I started I started, you know, doing financial education, writing books, and things yeah. like that. So, so how old were you when you were the CEO? Thirty one. Wow. Yeah. So I so, so I still I, was young. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, like I think I think I think I was probably one of the youngest uh CEOs of a of a federally chartered bank at the time. You wow. know what I'm saying? So yeah, 31 years old. So I know for a while, because you got numerous books and you started writing. Were yeah. you writing the books while you also were in the bank working those positions, or did that come later? Yeah, yeah. So I so my first book came out in 2009. I actually remember writing in Mind Right, Money Right, Tell of Financial Freedom. Um I opened a bank in Co-op City in the Bronx, brand new branch, $8 million project. Um, I used to come to the bank early um, and I, I wrote it on my Blackberry. That's why I, so I'm giving y'all, the, you know what I'm saying? This was 2008. Uh, I literally would come to the bank, sit and be on my Blackberry typing this book up. And so my first book, I was Mind Right, Money Right, Tell Loans of Financial Freedom. I actually wrote that while being a branch manager at Chase. Wow. And throughout the years, it's fu- funny story though, um, Ash Cash is a is a nickname that I had when I was young. I was licensed at the time. Y'all can't do nothing to me now. I was licensed <laughs> at the time, right? With Chase. So I yeah. had my six, my 63, life health. And um, when you're licensed, you have to get permission to do any outside activities. Okay. And so I I could so I so I could not write the book with the name Ash Exantis, which is my okay. my real name. Okay, yeah. Because the, you know, they they would find out. And so I was like, you know what? Ask for forgiveness, not for permission. So I, I was like, oh, let me use the alias Ash Cash, <laughs> right? And then so so I wrote I wrote the book, you know, under the name Ash Cash. Was still a banker, right? It was, it was like it was like Superman, Clark Kent. You know what I'm it was Ash Exantis, and then you know you know Superman was Ash Cash. And you know I wrote the book, um, and then eventually. Ash Cash got bigger than Ash Exantis. Mm. In fact, like if you if you Google Ash Cash, Ash Exantis comes up and vice versa, right? <laughs> yeah. So Ash Cash got bigger and I, I just could never go back to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wrote, you know, I started writing a book while I was working at the bank. Um, and then, you know, I, you know, I've always been a believer of multiple streams of income. So even when you know, I had, you know, jobs, I was still making sure that I was doing stuff on the side because, you know, at the end of the day, um, I didn't own the job, yeah. right? I could get fired, downside, the recession, all that could happen. And what happens to me? But if I have a book, like I still, to this day, get paid from 
a book that I wrote in 2009. Wow. You know what I'm saying? To this yeah. day. And, and it's a popular book. It got my face on it now. When I first wrote the first edition, it didn't have my face on it. But then okay. once I wound up quitting, you know, the bank, I, you know, I, I revised it, put my face on it. But it's one of my, my top selling books to this day. Um, and so I, I love the 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 model, the wealth principle of changing your relationship with money, right? Mm. Instead of working hard for money, make money work hard for you. Create an asset that you do one time, that asset you created one yeah. time, and let it pay you over and over and over again. This episode of the Traffic Sales and Profit Podcast is brought to you by my book, Traffic Sales and Profit, the ultimate step-by-step guide to creating consistent business revenue online. I want to get you a free copy, right? Paperback copy of that. None of this digital mumbo-jumbo. How do you get your hands on it? Go to www.freetspbook.com. Mm, that's good. And, you know, and even, even what you talked about with the... Uh balancing the side hustle yeah. with your main job, right? That takes me back. I worked at a TV station, ran an IT department. And so because I was a manager, I had like certain paperwork I had to fill out in non-compete stuff. And I'll never forget going into HR and we were doing our first movie. And I was like, okay, this is a TV station, right? And we doing like, like they didn't really care about none of the other right, stuff right. doing. <laughs> and you know, they were like, you know, what's this thing you're doing? I was like, oh, it's a little movie. Yeah. This, this, this family and friends, nobody will ever exactly. see it, right? right. right. Uh, then years later, here we are. Exactly. Right? But but exactly. but I love that. Now, when you did the book, you launched the book. Um, I want to talk about the transition between working the nine to five, leaving the bank, and then going full time in entrepreneurship. Yeah. Was it at this point you got multiple books? They got money coming in, speaking gigs attached. Was it just the fact that hey, you feel like the next phase of my life is ready, and maybe the, all the revenue isn't there, but I'm gonna figure it out? Yeah. What did that look like for you? Man, it was a disaster. Mm. Um, I was I was making all this money living a six-figure lifestyle. Uh, I bought my first home. I was 25 years old. Uh, my wife and I, um, you know, married, had a kid. Uh, my, my daughter at the time was two years old. And I said, yo, matter of fact, I wrote when I wrote my first book, um, Black Enterprise, you know, wrote, wrote something on me. And back then, magazines was... It was everything. That was everything. Yeah. So, so Black Enterprise. Black Enterprise is, is the... <laughs> yo, Black <laughs> Enterprise, you know what I'm saying? Get right on that. Here. So I got on Black Enterprise, Hot 97. I said, oh, <laughs> I, wa- I walked into my, my job like, yo, I quit. Like, I'm gone. Um, it is a CEO job. Nah, this is, no, this I, is... I was at uh, Carver Bank at the time. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, after I left Chase, I went to Carver um to you know run a black bank i was like yeah. oh this is the black bank i'm from harlem yeah i'm gonna go right to her twin fifth street and i i walked in i talked i talked to the bosses i was like listen you know what you know it's time for me to go you know i thought <laughs> i made it you know what i'm saying um you know i wound up getting a uh contract to teach financial literacy to foster care you know kids so i mm-hmm. thought i was like i'm lit I got this little contract that's gonna help me out and i'm gonna be on television and i'm gonna be- become this multi-millionaire um, and I didn't really understand entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, and so I fell flat on my face. Uh, home woman went, went through through foreclosure. Mm. Car about to get repossessed. Like literally, not even using hyperbole. Like literally, I had to figure out how we were going to eat, man. It was like one of the most embarrassing times of my life. Because you got to think, the fame didn't stop, though. Exactly. It didn't stop. So I'm still on television. I'm still doing book signings, trying to make this thing work. But then I go back home and I got a for sale sign on my lawn, mm. try, you know, because I can't afford the mortgage anymore. You know what I'm saying? So um, that taught me a very important lesson on uh, making sure everything, like, you know, your numbers, like everything yeah. don't, you know, you know, people say jump out on faith. I would never say jump out on faith. Right. Um, faith 
is you believing in yourself and believing in what you plan though, right? Like yeah, having a yeah. plan. It ain't yeah. it ain't saying, yo, <laughs> I have faith that I can fly. You ain't never flew before. <laughs> so a ju- no, no, no. Like learn, learn aerodynamics. Like all right, I'm gonna jump out this window, but I know that I like gravity's gonna make me fall to the ground. So I'm gonna jump out the window with a parachute and I'm gonna pull it at the like you gotta know all of that stuff. And I didn't. I jumped out and I thought I was gonna land on my feet, but I I, I fell hard. Uh, but it was a great, I, I wouldn't take it back though, uh, because what wound up happening was, you know, I, oh, matter of fact, I, I even threw a retirement party. Let me tell you how oh, arrogant I was, right? Let me tell you how arrogant I was. I even threw a retirement party. So it was right before my 30th birthday. You can't ever come back after yo, that. I, yo, I was like, yo, yo, I had at the 4040 club, like I, yo, I went crazy with it. Thank God. I think, I, I think Facebook took away the albums because they're probably still on my Facebook, right? All right, so we've been taking you through a money theme. We started with Amelia Thomas and Secrets of the 1%. Then we went to Alicia Little. And Alicia broke down how to begin making money online. Then we went to my guy, Ash Cash. Ash Cash talked about the fact that abundance is your birthright and having a money mentality and changing the way you think. Now I want to go to my favorite person in the world, my favorite guest. In episode eight, I had probably the person who's been on more episodes than anyone else in the Travis Social Private Show besides me, my wife, Ronnie Tyler. And we sat down and talked about how to build a multiple million dollar business with your spouse. Now, the thing I loved about this conversation, this was the catalyst to us having additional conversations here on the show. So if you're thinking about going into business with a family member, going into business with a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a loved one, no matter what it may be, I want you to make sure you're checking out all the episodes that Ronnie and I do as we talk about finding strengths and weaknesses, as we talk about mitigating and moving beyond risk, right? And your, your risk tolerance and what you can actually do. And as we talk about building something together for the greater good with someone else, check out this episode. And then once you watch it, I'll be back to give you instructions on how to be more successful with the Traffic Sales and Profit Show. So let's go into um, our story a little bit, because I want to, you know, there's a lot of people listening that probably don't know our backstory. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how it worked with us, and then we'll uh, give and share some tips for the people that are watching as well. So our story, you've wanted to be an entrepreneur since you were how old? Zero. (laughs) Zero. (laughs) From birth. From birth, you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Oh, that means never, never. Okay, okay. I thought you meant from birth you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, so, so with our story, I was a lifelong, always don't want to be an entrepreneur. Right. Um, you never really wanted to be an entrepreneur. I like that consistent paycheck from corporate every two weeks. Um, entrepreneurship feels like, um, gambling. It just feels risky. And, you know, I don't like to take risks. I don't even gamble when we go to Vegas, so. I like to gamble. Yeah, I know you So do. I like to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> How about them apples? No, yeah. so, so to you it feels like gambling, right? It may just be your personality type. Right. There is inherent risk. I will admit there is inherent risk with entrepreneurship that some people just may not be on for that, right. on for that ride, right? It's definitely a dis- decision that you would have to make, yeah. And when we met, for everybody watching, when we met, um, you know, I was a, a contractor by choice, right? IT background. I probably worked 20 something, 30 different companies. Ronnie had one job. One just job. Just one ever besides our business. Yeah. One, I'm like, what are you doing here? Like, what is this? What, is, what part of the game is this? <laughs> you only work one place, but one place, right? So we were kind of total opposites. Um, I was more of a risk taker, you were more conservative, but two totally different opposite people were able to come together yeah. and uh, create a sizable business, right? Bigger than your average American business one of the fastest growing privately held companies in America. Now let's talk about that story, how we got there. 
Um, because from the very beginning, it wasn't like you, you quickly found out I was interested in entrepreneurship, want to be an entrepreneur. At the time, I was still working nine to five. Because but I you said didn't. I needed a man with benefits, right? Yeah, and it was a drag on me. <laughs> I mean, I was like, man, I was out here living. I was living, y'all. Li- I was free balling. You know what I'm saying? Did my little contract, three months, six months. They say, Lamar, I want to hire you. Bring you on. I'd be like, nah, that's not me, right? So then I just bounced to the next place. I met Ronnie. I remember talking to you, and you'd be like, what happened if you don't get another contract? If I don't get another contract, I got some money saved up, I get another one. What happens then? I say, hey, you know what? Hey, the big deal, right? You know, I, I, I'll just take a, a, a lesser rate for a few months and then get back in the game. But you weren't cool with like that. That I mean, was it fear? Was it anxiety? Like, what was it? It was just foreign to me. And it was foreign to me because, you know, my father has always been an entrepreneur, but he always worked the nine to five, too. So he just basically had two things going, but not necessarily that full-time entrepreneurship. And then it wasn't until I got older that my mom became an entrepreneur. But growing up, I just wasn't around a lot of people that just were 100% entrepreneurs, right? I had, I knew of people, a lot of Black people and a lot of Black families have like businesses and and side things that they're doing, but not necessarily full-time. And so that's the only thing that I knew. And I just never even thought about entrepreneurship really um, in that way. All right. So I was, as mentioned, right, as a career contractor, 10 99 uh independent contractor even i was working these little different contracts but we got married ronnie said hey you know what i really want you to get a full-time w-2 position um which i did i give you short version story which i did i did that but then i still was doing things on the side right because i'm an entrepreneur at heart and at what point uh well let's step back so we did that we launched a brand yes we launched Black and Married with Kids, right? There we go. Yep. BlackandMarriedWithKids.com. We launched that. It kind of took off. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, started the blog with just me and Ronnie writing. Then we went from me and Ronnie to me and Ronnie, the editor, then me and Ronnie in writers. We have 40 plus writers writing. Mm-hmm. We started doing documentary films. Uh, we had the docs releasing. First one in 2009. And in 2010, I remember things getting so hectic, I wasn't able to do both. Right. It was like, like Ronnie worked one place, she had like nine months of leave per year, every year. Cause she, had, <laughs> she only worked one place all her life, right? Me on the other hand, I had like zero. Um, but like these huge business opportunities were coming that required us to travel, to do things. I literally just didn't have the time to do both. Um, so I remember saying like, hey, you know what? Like at some point we had to make a decision on which way to go and what we should actually be doing in the process. Right. What made you feel comfortable? Cause you'd originally said we, you weren't comfortable with entrepreneurship before, what made you feel comfortable at that point uh, with me being able to roll and say, hey, you know what, I'm leaving the job, I'm doing a full-time entrepreneur? So I think it was a variety of things. Um, we had, you know, you left your job in 2010 and we started a business in 2007. And so over that time period, um, it was just a consistency. Like we didn't just start and stop. We kept going. Um, we were constantly bringing in revenue and doing things to bring in more revenue. And then I could also see that we weren't going to be able to grow and scale unless one of us stopped and focused on the business full time. So I know we, we had met, gotten to the point where um, we needed to re- really focus our attention because if we can do this much um, part time, then what could we do if we could focus on it? And so it was just that consistency with that and just being able to see that. Because me, I just needed that security, right? And um, I could see that. And, so. and I, I love it, right? We talk about that transformation just for the, for the backstory. Um, leading up to that time over those years, the one thing we did is we got closer. We paid down, got rid of all of our debt. Mm-hmm. Um, so we crushed all the debt, right? 
um, we got as lean as we could get so that we didn't have to live off as much. Uh, we built some money up in the business, but the money in the business did not replace our salaries. Right? No. We had we both had like, you know, six figure plus salaries. So, you know, I think the business was doing 75K when I went full time, which was not 75K in profit. Yeah. I don't even know if it was doing that. Yeah. Period. Right. Mm -hmm. It was like period plus before we take all the expenses and things the and the writers, writers and the freelancers mm -hmm. and the uh, the editor and, you know, the 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 images we licensed and the plugins and everything else that we had to to buy and purchase, um, branding, right? Everything else we had to buy and purchase kind of came out of that as well. And, I, I, you know, one of the things that we always talked about is that, you know, a lot of people wait until they say, like, hey, till I grow the business here, here. I probably would still be there if that was the case because it probably just wouldn't be possible to do both. I probably would have done it, but it would take a long time. But instead, we got just enough so that, hey, you know what? You were still working. Um, it was some money coming in from the business, right? That was enough to kind of... Uh, uh, for me to take on like a little bit of what we could. And then the, we had a plan to grow it to the next level um, so that you could come full-time into the business, right? Because yeah. the thinking was that if we were able to accomplish all of this in our worst hours, 9 p.m., because we had also had four small children yeah. on the age of 11 or 12, right? So we able to accomplish all this, you know, after work, after uh, bath time, then bedtime, 9, 10 o'clock at night, 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, every single day, to make it happen and what would happen we were able to push through this during the yeah. day job. So one of, one of the things that was significant and a lot of people don't get this is sometimes you got to take a step back in order to go forward, right? Um, we had two six-figure salaries, right? And we went down to essentially one, right? So being able to live off of one salary because when you started a business, you weren't necessarily like really bringing that back home. It was really reinvest that back into the business. All of it. And I think a lot of times people want to maintain that level, maintain that lifestyle. And one thing that helped us was we went, we took a step back. We paid off our cars. Uh, when we moved, the, the house that we moved to, the mortgage was like $1,000 a month cheaper almost. Right. Um, and so we saved on the mortgage and we were able to live off of one salary um, for a very, very long time before we were able to, you know, start bringing salaries in for ourselves. And so um, that was definitely instrumental in us being able to make decisions, being able to make moves, to invest in the business, to take risk and things of that nature. So it was it was planned. It wasn't something that we just woke up and said, oh, I'm just going to quit my job. I see some people doing that too. And they quit long before they're ready, long before they can even see that their business is actually making any type of consistent money or any plan for how they're going to make the money. And um, it was very, very intentional. I, I remember people coming to me and saying, why your husband ain't working? And I'm thinking, he is working. He working a, he's working a lot of I hours. He's working harder than him. How right. About, how about um, them apples? Yeah. And so <laughs> they, like, people like people on the outside, they don't understand. They literally don't understand. And so that's going to be key to couples in business is just like having your goals, setting them and working towards them to, together and not worrying about what everybody else has to say. Listen, I enjoyed myself and I hope you did watching that clip from me and Ronnie. And again, I want to remind you that just one of three episodes that we did together. So if you enjoyed that one, don't only go back and watch that one, but I want you to find the other two as well. Now, what I want to share is that we've got more great episodes. And what if I told you the episodes coming up are even better? 
We've been in the lab, we've been in the studio, and we've been interviewing some of the best and brightest in the black community that are ready to not only come and share their stories, but come and share specific strategies that you can use to hit the next level as it relates to your business, as it relates to your bank account, sometimes even as it relates to your boo, right? We might even have a couple more relationship conversations here. But it all starts with you making sure that you lock in and you join us every single week. We release new episodes. Also, if you are not already, I want you to make sure you're watching the full videos of the episodes on The Convo, our new network catered towards black business and black wealth. You can find us at www.theconvo.tv online. You can also get a free registration and get access to the app on your Apple and Android devices, on Roku, or even on the Amazon Fire Stick. We're everywhere that we need to be in order to give you easy access to the information that we have. It's a new day, but guess what? We need you to make sure you're tuning in, and we also need you to help us spread the word. I appreciate you. I can't wait until we get to this next 40 episodes, and I can't wait to hear your success stories about how the Traffic Sales and Profit Show is changing your life. Peace. We'll see you next week.